Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, City of Refuge. I can't tell you, I had a little bit of anxiety about carrying this table up here. I was really sure I was going to trip and like face plant, and that was going to be forever in the history of City of Refuge. Hey, you remember that Sunday when Dave, or Brandon face planted with a tape? But we're okay. We're good. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. So uh, my name's Brandon, and I am the equipping pastor here at the church. Today we are starting a new series that we have entitled True Love. We have been talking throughout this year uh, about this overall theme of how do we go about promoting unity and love within the church in the midst of diversity. And we've talked a lot about different aspects of unity. We've talked about the the wonderful diversity that God has brought into the church and the opportunity that that presents for us in terms of gospel proclamation and life together and growing together, but also the possibility of that being a source of division if we don't pursue Jesus together in the midst of those things. But all of that, I believe, ultimately culminates in what is supposed to be love. In some ways, it is the primary virtue, it is the central theme, the central thing that we are supposed to be as Christians is loving. Right? When Jesus was asked what are the most important commandments, he pointed to two things. Mark 12, 30 through 31, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He pointed to love in two categories, loving God, loving neighbor, as being central to what it meant to be a follower of him and a follower of God. When we studied through Jesus' farewell address earlier this year, we saw in John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And what was his commandment? 1512, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love have no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You heard love a lot in that, right? It's at the center. And that makes sense because it is central to who God is. It's central to his being. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's at the center of his character. We've talked a lot this year about the need and the, the, the call that we have to be image bearers, this idea that, that part of our calling is Christians is that we are supposed to be reflecting God into creation. And if love is so central to who God is, and we are supposed to be image bearers of God, therefore it stands to reason that at the very center, whatever we're reflecting into the world, love should be at the center. But here's the issue. It begs a question. What exactly then is love? In fact, we considered entitling the series, What is Love? But we thought that might be a little too Night at the Roxbury. So (laughs) we didn't do that. 
But it's an important question because I think love is this concept, it's like a bag that we can pack with a lot of different things. And that if you talk to different people and look at the culture, has been packed with a lot of different things. And so if love is so central in our understanding of who God is and his character, and love is so central to how we are supposed to live and act, then it's important that we be packing this bag of love with what the scriptures say it should be packed with. So for the next four weeks... We are going to be doing an extended study through 1 Corinthians 13, probably the most famous and maybe well-known passage on love. So I'd like to begin by reading 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of my focus today is going to be on verses 1 through 3, but I'd like to read the whole passage this morning. And, And to set a little bit of just context for this, because this is a passage that more often than not you hear in weddings, like, that's the place where you primarily hear it. In fact, this past week, I sent an anniversary card to my sister that had a section of this passage on the card. So, and, and, it's, and it's great for that purpose, right? This passage has a lot to say to married couples. But in its original context, this was written to a church. It was written to the church in Corinth and was intended to be understood primarily as speaking to Christians in a body together. So... As you listen to this, try and hear it from that perspective. So this is 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. It's a beautiful passage. So... I mentioned before I read that this was written to uh, the church at Corinth. It was written to a church, and in the context here, he starts out that if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, so what is he, what is he getting at there? Well, if you go into the previous chapter, chapter twelve, you'll see that Paul has been talking to Corinth, the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts, um, and he has talked about these 
these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given, gifts of, of teaching and preaching and administration and helps and prophecy and all of these things that in addition to salvation, in his incredible mercy and grace and goodness, God has poured out these gifts to the church for the building up of the church. And he has been talking to them about, one, that they should desire those gifts, but also trying to make sure that those gifts don't be a source of division within the church. And so he has cast a vision for them in chapter 12 of them being this body with many members that have different roles and different giftings, and for that to be something that we value and not something that we look at another person who has a different gift than us and say, I'm not sure about that. I don't know that we need that in our body. So he wants to make sure that these giftings are being used for the building up of the body and not for tearing it down. At the end of the chapter, verse 31, he says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, so there should be a desire that we have to have these giftings of the Holy Spirit to build up the body, but then he says this, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So the gifts are great, but now he's going to show us what is a more excellent way, and the excellent way he's pointing to is chapter 13, this way of love. And so he starts out talking about the gift of tongues, which can be, as you see, when Peter preaches in Acts 2, people hearing things in their languages or maybe the ability to speak other languages. There's also other texts that seem to indicate that it may be more of a prayer language. I'm not going to get into that debate today, but there is a gift of tongues that's in the church um, that is being used at the church of Corinth. And he says this, he says, if I speak in the tongue of men of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he talks about prophecy. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So he talks about these spiritual gifts and seems to be warning them and saying, look guys, The gifts are great, but if they are not serving the ends of love, they're they're useless. And in fact, the language here is very, very strong. He starts out with this image of, if you're speaking in a tongue, even an angelic tongue, whatever that looks like, but you don't have love, he says you're a noise and gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I've heard a lot that, you know, the Bible is ancient, parts of it 2,000 to 4,000 years old. So very often when you're looking at imagery in the Bible, you sort of have to understand the cultural context that it's in. This one, though, this one translates pretty directly. Okay, I'm going to hold this away from the microphone. Are you all ready? This is what it feels like when someone uses a spiritual gift without love. It's annoying, right? (laughs) Maybe that doesn't go back in the bag. That's what he's saying. He's saying you have this amazing gift that God has given you. And if you use it, but it's not done in a way that pursues the end of love, it sounds like that. Prophecy and knowledge and all of these other gifts, he says, if you do not use it in the end of love, it's like, it's nothing. Now, 
he also then turns to some markers, some things that maybe we would look at and say, man, what does it look like if someone is really, really devoted to Jesus? Maybe that person would be willing to sell everything they had and give it away for the sake of Jesus. Maybe someone even might be willing to be martyred, would be willing to give up their life, to be burned at the stake, or in some other horrible way be killed for the sake of Jesus. He uses that as an example. He says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Even all of these things that we would look at as maybe markers of who is really committed to Jesus without love, if they're not serving that end, it gains us absolutely nothing. And I think this points to that all of these gifts have been given for the purpose of building up. They're there in order to be expressions of love. That's their purpose. So let's take prophecy, for example. So prophecy at its most basic level is speaking God's truth to someone. And sometimes in the scripture that looks like foretelling, saying, hey, this is something that God says is going to happen. More often than not, it's foretelling. It's speaking truth about a situation to a person. Now, using that gift in a way that is not seeking to build up can be dangerous even weaponized. I'm guessing many of you may have had that experience where someone was speaking truth to you, but it wasn't for the purpose of edifying you. It was for the purpose of tearing you down. But prophecy, when it's used in love, when it's speaking truth in love, even if it doesn't always feel good, can have great benefit and is actually necessary for the people of God to stay on course. I'm guessing many of you can also relate to having times in your life where someone came to you in love and pointed something out to you or told you something that was true that you really needed to hear. And because of that, you grew closer in your relationship with Christ. Same gift, different intent and different end because one was done out of love and the other was not. Knowledge. You can have all kinds of knowledge. You can have Bible knowledge. You can have all sorts of knowledge of how the Old Testament and the New Testament come together and know all of the books of the Bible and the prophecies and be able to quote large sections of Scripture or maybe not even biblical knowledge. Maybe you are an absolute expert in your field, whatever that field is. You have great knowledge of people, but you don't have love. Then all of that is just going to make you feel smart and good about yourself. It's not being used to love others, to build up others. Paul says all of that is nothing. It's there. The knowledge is supposed to be there to serve the end of love. But I think the opposite is also true. He's been speaking here a lot of the negatives about, hey, if you don't have love, it's nothing. But the opposite of that means that if it is done in love, then there is huge potential. There is huge opportunity for these gifts to be used for the purpose of loving others. And oh my, the power and impact that that could have. 
one of the things that I have, um, a joy that I get to have being on staff at this church is I get to have a bit of a front row seat to the ministry that you all as a congregation are doing. And from that, I have gotten to witness the expression of a lot of spiritual giftings across a lot of different ministry areas. I was just thinking about the last year and a half and thinking about the preaching team, getting to see people step into the pulpit to preach and to teach, and many of them having the courage to do that for the first time. We've had a couple of people who had never preached before who have gotten to preach Uh, from this pulpit in our congregation and and give an initial expression to those gifts of preaching and teaching. Um, I've gotten to see the deacons taking on benevolence in this this past season, including a couple of really hard, like difficult, heartbreaking and difficult situations and bringing gifts of administration and and giving and, and helps and wisdom into that to meet needs. And I've, I've got to see gifts of leadership being expressed and our, our children and youth doing ministry in a season where literally they had to make it up again in the midst of COVID. Like there was no playbook for how you do that. I've gotten to see gifts of prophecy being used and truth speaking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of where we've been and where we're going as a church. Gifts of shepherding and healing as we walked through a difficult season. Like it has been a joy to get to see these gifts expressed. And the reason it has been a joy is because I have seen that flowing out of love. So many in our church that have desperately wanted to love God well. So many in our church who have wanted to love us well, to love this congregation well. So many in our church who have loved those who were broken and in need and wanted to meet meet people just as Jesus did in love. And, and many who, who loved those who didn't yet know the source of that love, the God we love and serve. I mean, we've had people from our congregation in the last year go overseas in places where I can't even mention their names from the pulpit because they're going to places where people just don't know who Jesus is. And they do it because they love God and they love those people. And so that gives me... Excitement about entering into a talk about love as a church because we have a lot of really good role models in our church for what love looks like. And I just wanted to express to you all my gratitude for that, to be in a church that has love so prominently displayed. All that being said, we still have an open question. Then what is love? And honestly, I'm not going to answer that question too much this week. You have to come back next week. (laughs) But we are going to spend a number of weeks talking through what are the different aspects of love. And I'm just going to give you four broad categories of what Paul is going to say about what love is. And then I'm going to leave it for the rest of the preachers to get into it in more depth. But one Paul is going to talk about that love has particular attitudes and dispositions, right? Love is patient and kind. There's a particular disposition, an attitude we are supposed to have towards others, something that is about our, our character and the way we look at the world and the way we are perceiving and, and have our orientation towards the world. 
Second, we're going to see that love results in action. It is not just a matter of the head or the heart. It is a matter also of what we do, how we are treating others, right? It's, it's about not boasting. He's going to talk about some things that we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to be errant. We're not supposed to be rude. We're not supposed to insist on our own way. We're not supposed to be irritable or resentful. All of these things are there are things that involve our actions towards others. Third, we're going to see that love engages the emotion. And I wanted to bring this one up because one of the things that I have seen in definitions I've heard of love within the church, maybe not this one, but I have heard definitions of love that would almost leave out our emotions as a part of it. And I understand the reason for it because if you look at kind of the, the culture around us and what they stick in this bag of love, a good deal of it is about emotion. Right? It's all about how I feel about a particular person or a particular thing or a particular group. or It's, it's a lot about that aspect of who we are, of our, our feelings. And so I understand the desire a little bit to differentiate biblical love from that, right? From a love that we fall in and out of. But at the same time, I think we can go too far with that. Because I see words in here, like in verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. There's a rejoicing in the right things that's supposed to be a part of this love. A lot of the things he's going to talk about, about um, not insisting on your way, not being irritable, not being resentful, like these are things that have emotional components to it. And so I think it's important that we talk about and that how emotion is engaged in the midst of love is a part of this. So that's the third thing. Love engages emotion. The fourth thing we're going to see is that love requires commitment and perseverance. You see that at the end here where it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. There is a perseverance to love that is a part of what God has said love is and honestly that we see in him. How much has God's love for us persevered? How much have we seen him be committed to love us in despite of so much? So those four things are things to look for in the coming weeks. Love has particular attitudes and dispositions. Love results in action. Love engages emotion. And love requires perseverance and commitment. But the big concept for today that I hope you walk away with is that everything we do as Christians is supposed to flow and serve the end of love. Here, Paul has emphasized a lot spiritual gifts, but I think the principle goes beyond that. Like, as we talked about, this is a part of our our image bearing, the way that we're supposed to show God. So if, if love is supposed to be one of the primary aspects of our image bearing, then it should show up any place where we're called to be image bearers. Right? That means that we can look at our, our workplace, our work that we do, our relationship with our coworkers with the lens of how am I supposed to love here when I can do that in my parenting and in my marriage and in my relationship with my friends and in my relationship with my neighbors. I think we can start from a place of am I operating, am I loving in these relationships and in the things that I'm involved in? And that would be the thing I invite you to in the coming week is just start to take inventory of your life. Because 
we all know to a certain degree, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before, right? We all know we're supposed to have love at the center, but I have also know in my own experience that this slips away a little bit from me. That I very often am involved in a whole lot of things and I have never really deeply considered, am I actually loving through this? And in the way I'm doing this, or has it just become about the routine? Is my relationships that I'm in, have I lost sight of how to love the people around me well? I think it's something we have to keep an eye out for in in our lives. And I guarantee you, if you, again, if you're like me, that as you go about that, and also as we are going through the series where we're going to see Paul paint a very, very high view of love, that there is going to be this sense of inadequacy for these things. How on earth do I love well? Paul is about to express a very high view of love. And so I think it's important that as we're sort of facing that, that we start from a place of recognizing that we love because he first loved us. That pursuing loving others well and pursuing love being central to what we're doing doesn't start with our own effort and self-discipline and and sort of just trying to force ourselves, well, I'm going to be more loving today, right? It comes from having Jesus as a role model in our lives. It comes from having the indwelling Holy Spirit working in us and us paying attention to that. But most importantly, It comes from having an abiding relationship of love with Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus told us to do in John 15. He talked about that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is the starting point of our love. Abide in my love. And after that, after the abiding comes, then comes the command to love one another. So if you feel like you're struggling to love others, a place to start is, are you abiding in the love of Jesus? Because that ultimately is one of the things he bought us for. One, it's why he bought us on the cross. He did it because he loved. And actually he did it loving us even before, he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? It was motivated for him out of love, and he bought us so that we might be able to love others. There's something there that he desired to see manifested from us. And so if we're looking to love better, let's start with abiding in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't think anyone in this room wants to be a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our marriages. As parents, God, Lord, we want to be, we want to demonstrate the kind of beautiful love that is expressed here in 1 Corinthians 13. And Lord, we desperately need your help in that. So I pray, God, that in the coming week, you will show us the places where we're being motivated by love and the places where we aren't. And I pray in response to the latter, God, that we would press more into abiding in your love, that you would bring to remembrance how much you have loved us, and from that, that we would be able to love others better. Lord, we do love you and give you all the praise and the glory in your name. Amen.